years ago, I, I, uh, one of our kids was going to uh, the capital of Costa Rica, San Jose, Costa Rica. I took him to the airport and then uh, went home. And I was remember I was sitting at, at my desk at home, a little uh, place la- or a uh, computer station there doing some work. And uh, my phone rang. I said, Dad, I'm, I'm in Chicago. And I'm a connection flight. So far, so good. I said, they told us not to get off the plane, that this is this plane is going to take us this connection. But this plane, everybody's getting on this, and they're going to take us to our final destination. And everything looks good. You know, I'm, I'm at... Uh, San Jose, but they got on. They said, "We're the next stop is San Jose, California." Dad, I, th- I think I got the wrong ticket. Can you look at this, these numbers, these flight numbers, and, and let me know? Well, I already knew the ticket was wrong, you know, but I didn't want to make them feel bad, so I said, well, "Go ahead and, and kind of let me check that out." I said, "Well, you did, and what are we going to do?" So we began to work all that out. So, the direction, intended direction, the sincere direction that my child was going in was not going to take them to their desired destination. Now, this happens to us, uh, maybe not all the time, but it's happened to all of us at a time or two in our life, in a physical sense, in a vehicle. But it also happens with our life choices where we have unintended detours or sometimes intended detours because we don't want to go, like Jonah, we don't want to go to the destination. But the vast, vast majority of the time, they're subtle detours. And we think, well, this this will get me there quicker. It will get me there faster. Now, the Bible tells us something in Proverbs chapter 13, and this has kind of been our theme verse, if you look there with me. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 7, it talks about wealth. And you can say, well, Rick, we've looked at this every week, and I know I want you to get this. Proverbs 13, 7. There is that maketh himself rich, yet hath nothing. There is that maketh himself poor, yet hath great riches. Now, I have this underlined, rich yet hath nothing, poor yet hath great riches. Rich yet hath nothing, poor yet hath great riches. Now what the Bible is teaching here is there's more than one type of wealth. The Bible is saying that there's more wealth than just finances. In fact, what the Bible is teaching at another level is that financial wealth is not the best part of wealth. Now you'll notice this verse is located in the book of Proverbs. If you want to be wise, one of the paths of wisdom, not the only path, but one of the dominant paths is found in the book of Proverbs. And especially early on in life, and even for the rest of your life, I would exhort you, and I hope you young people would listen to this, to read Proverbs every day. Uh, for example, today is the 25th, and uh, isn't that right? Today's the 25th. So there's 31 Proverbs, and just take whatever the day of the month it is, the date. So today is 
July the 25th, take the number and read Proverbs 25. And take that day and read that proverb. And there's two things you can look for. Number one, look for wisdom, the way wisdom behaves, what it believes. And the key to uh, Bible study, the, the key to um, getting something out of the Bible is, is application. And I remember when our, our children were young, uh, really young, to keep them interested. You know, some people think, well, if they have devotions a time or two with young kids and they get discouraged because they think it's like a sermon. You have to make it age appropriate. And so we would look for things. And it doesn't matter if you're six or you're 60. What problem are you going through in life right now? What is a situation, life situation? And as you go through Proverbs 25, look for that situation. And, and I will assure you, as you go through Proverbs during the month, you, things will jump out at you. And so Proverbs 13 here talks about wealth, true wealth, rich yet hath nothing. So here's a wealthy person that doesn't have anything. Poor yet hath great riches. And here's some that are perceived not to have anything, but they have great riches or very wealthy. Now, one of the keys to, to counseling people, and, and some of you are listening to this and you're already turning me off and say, well, I don't do that. Well, if you're a parent, you do. And if you're a friend, you do. One of the keys, let me put it this way, to discipling people or helping people is to ask good questions. And you want to get to root issues. Don't treat surface issues. That doesn't help people. You want to get to root issues. And one of the keys to that is to ask good questions. And one of the questions that I have used through the years when people are making foolish decisions, because um, accusations harden the will and questions stirs the conscience. You know, you talk to your kids or talk to someone in sin and say, you know, you're just, you're, you're just stupid. That's an accusation. It may be true. But there's a difference in that. So don't you think that what you're doing is going to lead to some suffering? You're appealing to the conscience in. Accusations harden the will. Questions serves the conscience. So you learn questions. I listen to sermons. I listen to podcasts. When I hear good questions, I write them down. I was telling Paula the other day, uh, when I was younger, I wrote down sermon outlines. And I think that's a good, you learn how to listen to sermon when you write down a sermon outline. But now I'm listening for other things. I'm listening for, for things that not only will help me, but really help me to help other people. But here's one of the questions that, that has helped me through the years to help other people to get to the root issue. Especially when someone is making foolish choices. And here it is. Uh, do you want God's best for your life? Now that may sound like a very innocent question, but I assure you it isn't. Because when a person is acting like a fool, and you ask them and you say, do you want God's best for your life? I mean, it's really a question that already has the answer. I have never had anybody, and I'm not saying it would never happen, but I've never had anybody that said no. Of course they do, especially if they're believers. Yes, I don't want God's worst. And then that opens the door for you to... To talk to them because you need to consider the consequences. And it, 
Even in answering the question, they begin to think about the consequences and the direction of their lives. Now, all of us, by the way, Paul, this is almost melted. I know she's thinking about that cough drop in my mouth right now. She helps me when I preach. <laughs> it's bothering my throat. It's almost gone, honey. But here's, here's why I told you that. I want you to ask yourself that question. Do you want God's best for your life? Are the choices that you're making, the life that you're living, are they going to lead you to God's best for your life? Let me frame it another way. The path that you're walking on, is it going to take you to God's best? Because it's going to take you somewhere. Where you're going is to some destination, even if you're passive in your mind. You, I'm just, I don't know where we're going, but you're going somewhere. And when you wake up when you're 18, when you're 25, when you're 40, when you're 60, when you end up there individually or corporately as a family, is it going to take you there for God's best or is it going to be this secondary path with a dead end? I've been going through a, a new devotional uh, for my own spiritual growth and it's taken me through the Psalms in a year. I've really enjoyed it. And just recently I was uh, reading and studying Psalm 16. I've always loved this verse, but um, this verse was kind of the focus of my study weeks ago. And here it is, Psalm 16:11. The Bible says, speaking of God, thou wilt show me, now look at this, a path of life. And thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Well, there's so much good there. God will show me a path, and on that pathway there's life. And on that pathway is His presence. And in His presence there's fullness of joy. And that path really is all along the way is is at His right hand. Now, the right hand is a metaphor for, for God's favor. The right hand is a place of privilege. It's a place of blessing. Uh, where is Jesus right now? He's at the Father's right hand. Sometimes you'll hear this said that, well, this, this person is my right hand man. You ever wonder where we get that from? They're my right hand. Because the world, basically, if you're left-handed, I'm not slamming you, but it's a metaphor. It's a picture of of readiness. It's it's someone that is with you. But the picture of someone that is at your right hand, at the king's right hand, is this person has my favor. That's what that means there. At that right hand, at God's right hand, I'm at the Father's right hand. There are pleasures forevermore. Look at that verse. God will show me the path of life. If I'm interested, if I'm if I'm interested in His best, because there is His presence where there's fullness of joy. At that place is His right hand where there's pleasures forevermore. Warren Wiersbe commented on this verse. This is so powerful. He said, "This is a secret to life and joy." He said, "Live on God's path." On his path, live in his presence, and live for his pleasures. 
All those little prepositions are so profound. I like that. So I can do that. I can live on his path. I can live in his presence and I can live for his pleasure. That's what that verse says. Look across the page back at Proverbs 12, if you would. Proverbs chapter 12. Look at verse 28. Proverbs 12, 28. Something similar. And the way of righteousness is life. You see that? In your choices, when you choose righteousness, there's life. And in the pathway thereof, in that choice, in that pathway of righteousness, there is no death. It's a, it's a place of blessing. It's a place of life. It's a place of joy. It's, it's the same idea of Psalm 16. Don't you want that in your life? Aren't you tired of second best and third best and making boneheaded choices? Can I put it this way? Don't you want God's best for your life? Rather than me asking you this on this day, would you ask yourself that question tomorrow? Do I want God's best? Several years ago, I I loved to read and I read broadly. I read all different kind of books. And I read a book called uh, The Best Question. The best question. So what is the best question? I like the idea. You know what the best question was, according to that writer? What is the wisest choice? What is the wisest choice? But if you're going to make choices that involve God's best and God's wisdom, what is the wise? That means you can't just always be making spontaneous choices. I know sometimes even my family... And people close to me, they they say, boy, he sure is slow. Speaking of me. But I don't make a lot of stupid decisions. Not that I haven't, but I don't make a lot of them. And I'll tell you why. Because people that just make spontaneous decisions, what happens is say, well, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. But, yeah, but you don't understand that when you did that, you're going to have to clean up a lot of stuff. It's not fire, aim, ready. It's ready, aim, fire. Now, at some point, you have, to, you have to pull the trigger. But do you want God's best? Do you want God's wisdom? Are you at the right hand? What path are you on? Are you on the right path? Now, it doesn't take any wisdom to know the difference in good and evil. Black and white. It doesn't take any difference to know... Right and wrong. Sin and righteousness. It doesn't take any difference. We can look and tell. But it takes a lot of wisdom to know the difference in good and best. Are you listening? Because the difference in good and best is the difference in effectiveness and excellence. That's where the difference is. Some of you don't do wrong, you do good, but you're not doing the best. In your marriage, in your Christian walk, do you want God's best for your life? Not God's good, not just okay. Do you want God's best? I love this quote by Robert Murray McShane because it encourages me. Here's what he said, it is not great talents that God blesses, 
so much as great likeness to Jesus Christ. I love that quote. God does bless talent, but he blesses character more. A person that's like Jesus. A holy minister is an awful, that's an old English word that means a mighty, a great, a holy person. Let me put it that way, is a great weapon in the hand of God. But good friend, listen, let me plead with you. If you keep taking these detours that are nothing but distractions, Satan sets up these detours to distract you and to delay you from your primary purpose. And from God's, from God's definition of success, from his standard to success, you end up at folly, you end up at destruction, you end up in unnecessary suffering. And failure. Now, if we measure wealth and only finances, we miss the best part of life. I've said this every sermon since I started this, and I'm going to say it again. If you measure success and only finances, you miss the best part of life. And here's what you do you end up with leftovers, you don't end up with the best. Now, last week, if you were here, you heard me say it's not wrong to have money. It's wrong for money to have you. But if you think that, that, that finances is, is what true wealth is, then you're going to miss the best part of life. Because that's where you're going to give your time and your energy and your focus to. One way that you measure true wealth, not the only way, but I want to give a little bit of time to this here in these last few moments, is by God's favor in your life. And last week, I kind of <clears throat> gave the introduction to this idea that once you came to Jesus Christ, God placed his favor, his acceptance upon you. God loves you. You don't have to earn his favor. The word favor has the idea of grace. You Listen, you have been graced. God loves you. You cannot do anything more to get God to love you more, and you can't. Do anything to make God love you less. He loves you. If you are his child, he loves you. His favor is upon you. There's a security there. I told you this last week that one advantage that I have is I had a good father. And my father loved me unconditionally. My father was a merciful man. My father was a just man. He expected me to do right. But the balance was that when I didn't do right, he was merciful. And I had a good picture of my Heavenly Father. Now, some of you did not have that. But you, you can still have a good picture of God. But because of that, there was a great security that I had where I wasn't always looking over my shoulder. That God's out to get me. And I really never doubted my salvation much. Not because I was a good guy. Not because I had a high level of self-esteem. No. Because I had a good image of who God was. He's not going to cast me out. He loves me. He just loves me. Not because I'm good. Because of who he is. I got this picture from my earthly father. God does not have favorites among his children. But he does have intimates. Now, did you hear what I said? 
If you have more than one child, in fact, if you have several children, you don't, you don't have favorites among your children, but you do have intimates. Sometimes kids say, and I think sometimes it's true, like Joseph, uh, Jacob favored Joseph, his son. He was wrong. But I think sometimes that kids will say, yeah, my parents favor this child. When sometimes that may not be true. Sometimes that child just may be more intimate with the parents. They may reach out to the parents. But it has nothing to do with the parents. They love their kids equally. And it's the same thing with father. Are you listening to what I'm saying here? This is very pivotal. God does not have favorites, but he does have intimates. And these are people, listen, that have chosen to pursue him and to be closer to him. And it's not because they deserve it or because God loves them more, but because they're seeking after him. And when you seek after God, you don't become more favored in his eyes because you're already favored. But you become closer. And when you become closer, you experience, listen, you experience more of of his favor. You already have a position. You already have a status. It's fixed. It will never change where you're favored. And if you don't experience that, that's your fault. You have it. But if you want to become an intimate, you can experience more of the favor. But it's your choice. The ball is in your court. You have as much of God as you want. Every person in here, if you're saved, you're as close to God as you want to be. And it's not his fault. He loves you. If you're saved, he loves you. He favors you. He has graced you. James chapter 4 and verse 8, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Do you, do you know people in your life? I begin to think about this and I begin to write some down. I thought, well, I can't, I can't really go there at length. But let me just pose a question. Do you know people that are intimates with God? I mean, they're, they're just, they behave like Jesus. They're close to God. They reflect his heart. They're just real. They're just simple. There's nothing plastic about them. I wrote some names and I'll just surface one. I could say many and I don't want to pull one. In fact, I'm not going to mention anybody in our church, so I could mention uh, a number of people. But I wrote down Price Harris. Those of you that know Price, you say, oh, yeah, that's true. What you see is what you get. And if you saw him 40 years ago, it's the same as today. Not only is he consistent, he is consistently gracious. He's consistently kind. He consistently consistently loves people. He consistently loves the Lord. And he walks with the Lord. God doesn't favor him more, but he experiences more the favor of God because... He draws nigh to God and God God draws nigh to him. So this is the point. Don't miss this when I get into this because you're going to think, well, God just favors more people. No, some people experience more of it because they have chosen to pursue the approval, the smile, the blessing of God more than others. 
Now, I started this message off by saying that there are detours that we take and we don't experience God's best. We don't get to the destination because we take a detour and wake up one day and say, hey, I'm off the path. And when I was putting this part of the message together about that one way you measure true wealth is the favor of God. And our position is favor, but our experience can be, we can experience more of the favor of God when we pursue Him. As I begin to just meditate on these verses, I realize that there are detours where we get off. And there are four of them. But I don't have time. I'm going to finish this up, God willing, next week. But I want to give you one this morning. And really, this one is the biggest one. The other three are huge. But this one, this one here is one that gets us off the main thing where we don't pursue God anymore. And it's a detour. And all of a sudden we wake up and I'm not as close to God anymore. I don't sense His presence. I'm not as intimate with the Lord anymore. And it is a detour of blessings. The detour of blessings. You say, well, wait just a minute. That's a good thing. Okay, now listen carefully. Blessings are the things that God does for us. They are the things He gives to us. Blessings are what God does for us because He loves us. Now listen to this. Being blessed is my position. Blessings are the result of my position. Blessings are a detour to experiencing more of the favor of God. Because it's a difficult lesson to learn that we are not to seek blessings. But it's really easy to seek the hand of God more than the heart of God. It's really easy to seek what God can do for us more than who He is and it becomes a detour. It's, it's, it's secondary. It's not primary. Now listen, church, listen. Do not seek blessings. Seek God. Now that is such a simple statement, but it is so profound. Do not seek blessings. You're already blessed. You're already favored. Just seek God. Just to use an earthy example, don't seek what your parents can do for you. Just seek a relationship with your parents. It's so easy to just love people for what they do for us rather than who they are. I would posit this, that you really don't love them. You love what they do for you. Do not seek the blessing. Seek the Lord. Immaturity and selfishness love the gift more than the giver. Now that's true for a three-year-old. When your grandchildren come over and they want you to do something for them. You know, where's the popsicles and where's this? And they're cute. But it's not cute when they're 30. You need to be giving by then. You need, you, there, there's more of a relationship now. You need to be like Abraham. You're a friend of God. 
You see, it wasn't just God was a friend to Abraham. Abraham was a friend to God. And you're seeking to be a blessing to God. You're seeking God, not just His blessings. Let me give you some scriptures here as we round this out. Boy, these are so powerful. As I went over these last night, my my heart just, just welled up. Look at this. Romans chapter 8 and verse 32. He, this is speaking of the Heavenly Father, He that spared not or, or held back His own Son, but delivered. The word delivered there means to surrender. But delivered Jesus. He delivered His Son. He delivered Him. Notice a personal pronoun. He delivered Jesus. Him. Up for us all. I just want to call a timeout right there. This is not my sermon, but I want to say it. When Jesus died, he died for everybody. There is a teaching, some of you are not aware of it, but I want to put a nail in the coffin right now that says, well, Jesus didn't die for everybody. Yes, he did. And this is just one verse, but there are others. He delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him, with Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, also freely give us, now notice this, Also freely give us all things. Freely give us all things. Now this is the heart of the gospel message that Jesus died for our sins and he loved us so much. But this is a prayer promise as well as it's attaching the gospel to a prayer promise. And here's what he's saying. If the father would give his son... And deliver him up to be scourged and to crucified and beaten and and even turn his back upon him for those hours when he's upon Calvary. Won't he pay your grocery bill? Won't he put gas in your car? Won't he pay your rent? What what he's saying here is the length to which God will go to answer your prayers and to provide for you. But as I looked at this verse this week and I began to think about it, two times there he uses the word him, but look at the last word in the verse. It's a word things. This verse is not about things, it's about him. Don't focus on the things, don't focus on the blessings. Sometimes our prayer life is just occupied with stuff. God, I need this, and I need that, and I need this, and I need that, and I need this. And it's not wrong to ask God for things. James chapter 4 says, you have not because he asked not. But can I tell you something? That if you're occupied more with the, with the presence of God, with the person of God, with his heart, more than his hand... That he will provide for you just as much and and I think even more and quicker than the person that is just so occupied with the things. Blessings are a detour. And sometimes God has to remove the blessings to put us in hardship so that we begin occupied with God. You see this in the Bible so often. We begin occupied with who he is and what he's done for us rather than our stuff. My favorite prayer promise in the Bible is this one, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 11. 
If ye then, this is us being evil, know how to give good gifts or good things unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? And again, the focus there is not on things. It's on your Father. It's not on things. It's not on blessings. Lord, I sure would like to have that. Forget the blessings. Don't let your mind be occupied. Just let your mind be occupied with who God is. God, why don't you do this for me? Why can't I have that? And we we become like immature, spoiled brats. And we want God's hand. Now, those of you that are parents, I want, I want you to think, how, how does that make you feel? Can, can you get just, just some clue about how the father feels? Now, I assure you, it, it's cute when they're two, but when they're 20 and they're 40, it is not cute. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 31, Therefore, take no thought... In other words, don't think about it. And really the word thought there means don't worry. It means a a divided mind is what it means. I, I can't even focus. My mind is in two places. My mind is not at rest. Take no thought saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we be clothed? So this is the, this is my prayer list. And it's not wrong. I say it again. It's not wrong to put these down as long as you're not preoccupied with them. Oh, man, what am I going to do about this COVID stuff? And how am I going to do this? And you get all worried and stressed out. And, and you're breaking out with hives. And, and what, what shall we do? What shall we? What shall we? And your mind is all divided. You're not thinking about your father. For, for years, when things have come up, I'll tell my close friends. I say, what are you going to do about filling the blank? I say, well... I'll tell my father. I'm not talking about cotton. I'm talking about my, my heavenly father. I'll tell my father. For all these things, these things, these things, these blessings, do the Gentiles seek? Now, Gentiles is a picture of lost people. Let me, let me put this in another vernacular. This is how lost people live. And notice the word seek there. Lost people seek after. This is their priority. They worry about this stuff. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need. I have this underline of all these things. God knows what you need. Jake paid his car off. He's been so diligent about this. He's taking care of that car. Man, he came over. His daddy got my car paid off. Mom and I were so happy for him. And then this thing happened to his car just a few months later. And, uh, you know, we're just grieved with him for this. We want to say, God, Father knows about it. Maybe God just wants to show him a little up. 
He just wants to show himself strong on their behalf. I don't have these answers. Maybe he wants to show them some things that that his daddy, that the preacher dad can't show him. For after all these things, do the Gentiles seek? Your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. But seek, here's the second word of the time the word seek is used. It means to inquire after. It's even used to worship in some places. But he tells us, seek ye first the kingdom of God, the rule of God, and the righteousness of God. And all these things, there's the word things again, shall be added unto you. But seek first the Lord's heart. Seek His rule in your life. Seek His righteousness. And you only get that by Him. The word first there means first in time, first in place, first in rank. It means being chief. But seek first. I'm going to seek Him first. I'm not going to get on the off-ramp of these things, of these blessings. Blessings aren't bad, but being blessed is better. The blesser is God. The blessings is what He gives. We had... uh, a lady in our church many years ago, and I hesitate to say this because when I share these things, they're so personal, but it, it serves the illustration, so I will I will share it. And uh, she was in sales. And anytime she made a sale, it was involved big sales. Anytime she made a sale, she bought me a new pair of shoes or dress shoes. And somehow she got with Paula. She found out my size. And I would come home literally. They'd be on the front porch. How wicked of me to love those shoes and those gifts more than the giver. How wicked of me. We do it with the Father all the time. You see, I think sometimes what we do is we want to work up this love for God. We, we want to love God more, so we say, I haven't been loving God, so I'm going to love God. You don't understand. You don't work up a love for God. Here's what you do is you think about who He is, His heart, and you think about what His hand has done. And there's a reciprocal effect in your heart that it comes back and says, God, I love you. Because you've been far better to me than I've been to you. And you don't get off on that off-ramp anymore of that exit ramp of blessings. And when you stay on the ramp of being blessed, we were I was in the doctor's office this past week. We had a long week. And Paula went in there with me, you know, for a long time. You you couldn't go see people. And uh, this precious black lady was in there helping us, and she was asking me questions. And and I was going through, and I love to have fun with people. And she was a lot of fun going back and forth. And she found out that we loved the Lord.
And um, she loved the Lord. And she was leaving and she turned around. She said, and then she shut the door. And she said, do you mind if I pray for you? And she came and put her hand on Paula's shoulder, on my shoulder. And she prayed for us. And while she prayed, I looked at my wife. My wife was weeping. And my father my father knew what my wife needed. Especially don't misunderstand it was good for my soul. But my father knew my wife needed in that moment. And he knows what you need. Don't become encumbered by the blessings. What are you going to do when they dry up like Job? Remember what the devil said to God? Would Job serve you for naught? Job's just serving you for the blessings. No, he didn't. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19, the Bible says we love him or we love God because he first loved us. You see that? You see that? We love him. He loved us first. And we reciprocate that love. I think there's a memory card in your bulletin for that. First John chapter 5 and verse 3. For this is the love of God. That we keep his commandments. That you obey him. But it is not a dutiful obedience. And his commandments are not grievous. They don't grieve you. They're not burdensome. I have to go to church. I have to do this. No, it's, it's, a, it's a delight because I love the Lord. Listen, there is a wealth in knowing God and walking with God and having His hand upon your life and not getting on the off-ramp of, God, what have you done for me lately? If He never does anything for me again. You know, sometimes... I don't know what to tell people when they say, how are you doing? Because sometimes I'm not doing well. But I know a good answer I can always give them. I'm blessed. Even if I'm in pain, I'm I'm blessed. Even if circumstances aren't well, I'm blessed. And by the way, that's a good answer. We are wealthy. We're blessed. God's hand, His approval, His smile... Is upon us. The secret to consistently seeking and pursuing God is not seeking the blessing at all, but just seeking His heart. Do you know Him? Have you been saved? Do you know His heart? He's done great things for us, but do you know His heart? I love my Father because of His heart. I love my Heavenly Father because of His heart. Psalm 42 and verse 1 says, As the heart, H-A-R-T, that means an adult male deer, panteth after the water brooks. He's been running, hunting, and now he's thirsty. He's very thirsty. The word panteth means to long after. 
I, I want a stream. I want some water. Ask the deer longs after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. Are you thirsty for the Lord? Not for his blessings. Psalm 63 and verse 1. O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. Seek thee. Thee. My soul. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee. In a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Metaphorical language there. In this world, Lord, nothing can satisfy my heart like you. I want to know you. Psalm 84 and verse 2. My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. That's where they fellowshiped with God in that day. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. The detour blessings that get us off of God's favor of intimacy with the Lord. Read this week about a story about a couple that couldn't have children and so they adopted a precious little girl and she became the apple of her father's eye. She grew up in the home and they loved to take walks together every night after supper. When she was 10 years old, she suddenly began to dismiss herself. They would go outside and start to walk, and she'd say, I, I want to go back. And she would, and he said, well, okay. She went back to the house, and she would isolate herself in a room. The next night she did, and then the third night she didn't even walk. And for three months, she didn't walk with her dad, and his heart grieved, but he didn't say anything. But he said, maybe she's just going through this time in her life where she's not going to have those personal times where we just talk anymore. And he was in a time of grief. For three months, for 90 days, this went on. Then his birthday came and they had a celebration and then the cake came out and then she came out and the little girl whom he loved so much and she put a birthday present on his lap. He began to open the gift. He could tell she wrapped it. And then as he looked at it, there were some homemade bedroom slippers and he could tell by the workmanship that she had made them. And then it struck him. He said, honey... You made these for me. She said, yes, Daddy. Is this what you've been doing the last few months instead of walking with Daddy? Said, yes. I've been making these for you. He said, you have not been walking with me so that you could make these for me. Said, yes, sir. And he called her up to his side. He put his arm around her. He said, honey... Next time you want to buy me a birthday present, you ask me for money. Because I, what I want is not what you can make for me. What I want is to spend time with you. And that is the heart of God. God wants us to serve Him. 
But it's not about our productivity. It's not about what we can get from Him. It's about our pursuing Him. And I'm going to tell you something. When you know Him, when you seek Him first, when you love Him, you are already favored by Him. God doesn't have favorites, but He does have intimates. You experience more of His favor. And He begins to shower more of His favor upon you. And you become more wealthy than you've ever become before, spiritually speaking. I want you to bow your head with me this morning, if you would. I wonder, my friends, as we stop and pray right now, how many of you have taken that detour of blessings, of busyness, And you love the Lord. You're a Christian. But you're preoccupied with his hand more than his heart. Would you just tell him right there where you sit? Would you just tell him, God, I'm sorry. I'm not going to live like this anymore. I'm sorry. I want to know.